Here is a sermon message from Somerville Community Baptist Church. To hear more sermons like this, please visit iLoveSCBC.org. Well, good morning. Glad you have joined our online service this morning. I believe that God has a new and fresh words of encouragement and joy and deliverance as you are to listen to this message and also join this service. Today we begin our brand new series called Finding Joy During Difficult Times. Finding Joy During Difficult Times. And we do that by studying the entire book of Philippians. I know I said entire book, but don't worry. This book of Philippians only has four chapters and 104 verses. Only takes about two and a half pages in your Bible. So it'll take about half an hour for you to read from the beginning to the end of this entire book. But as I said from last series, never ever let the size of the Bible or the book uh, fool you because it's a small volume, not important. It's a small volume, probably easy to understand. No, um, this book, I believe, is the key to give you and tell you and teach you how to have joy regardless of your circumstances. I believe this book of Philippians will change your perspective on joy. Now, everybody wants joy in their life, isn't it? In fact, these words are crazy about having happiness, which I believe the secular term of joy. We're all longing and eager to have happiness in our lives. Look at those advertisements or commercials, right? If you take a look at the people there, they all look happy, right? With a big smile. And one of the marketing strategies that they are using is to make you feel like if you buy their product, buy their car, if you stay in their hotel, if you go to their vacation home, oh, you will be happy. You'll find great joy, right? Every world are just craving for this joy. However, with all great effort that you are making, if you're honest with me, it is also true that joy or happiness is not easy to find, isn't it? Some people try to find joy by having more stuff or accumulating more wealth. But we know that is not the case. If that is the case, you know, Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, oh, they should be the happiest man in the world. But that's not true. Some people also think having more fame, more power bring their joy. But we know that is not true. We see that a lot of celebrities, when they got to the top peak of their fame and found really nothing, they just couldn't deal with their emptiness of their heart. And a lot of times they made this wrong decision by ending their life. If it's a power is something that brings you more joy, I believe that politicians there should be the one. Looks very happy and full of joy. But we know that is not true. Just look at what their faces, expressions, or you know, look at what they're doing. From news or TV or reading an article, you know they are not the happy one. They're in fact the far, far from being happy. If you think that joy is by having more knowledge or more wisdom, it should be someone who has the highest you know, um, education, someone who has a PhD, or let's say professor from Harvard, they should be the happiest one. We know that's not true. Knowledge, wisdom, wealth, 
fame, power, they don't bring new true joy, true eternal joy. Now, C.S. Lewis once said, and I quote, If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, peace, eternal life, that's what we need, right? We must get close to or even into the thing that has them, or we should say the person who has them. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. They are not a sort of price which God could just hand out to anyone. And I believe this quote by the C.S. Lewis is so true, right? So we know we need to find joy. We need to find happiness. But we need to find it from the right place or the right person. I believe the joy is where you put your focus. Joy is not an absence of sadness or the presence of the spectacular blessing. No, joy is to put your focus on the right place who has them. That is our Lord Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel. That's why I believe Hebrew writer says this from a 12th chapter of second verse. Hebrew 12, 2 says this, how Jesus Christ was able to set his joy. It says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer perfecter of faith, who said joy before him. You know, Jesus didn't find joy in the event of crucifixion. Think about that. He found joy in the guaranteed outcome of that event. He did not find joy in the feeling of hanging on the cross. No, he felt the same excruciating pain, right? On the cross, like the other two thieves on his both side. But because Jesus Christ put his focus on the outcome of that pain, because he was able to put his focus on the purpose, he was able to set joy before him. Do you understand it's very different to go through pain without purpose than pain with a purpose? It's the difference between, let's say, the, my daughter, Grace, um, who's jumping on my back all the time nowadays. And now I totally get it. Why everybody says terrible too. I hope that she'll grow up and just fast get to the three or four that she understand. Now, she's only 35 pounds, Okay. But me not knowing that she's going to jump on my back. And when that happens, oh my God, I feel like every single disc just slipped like I'm 93 years old in my back, right? But the difference, me putting this 35 pounds, the same weight as my daughter, of, on bar to squat, if I do it on purpose, if I'm aware of it, if I know the right, uh, right thing to do, Right? It just warm up weight. But if I don't expect it, it might take me down to the ground. The same way that joy is focused before it's feeling. So while we are chasing a feeling of joy, God has given us this ability to choose to decide not our feeling, but into the right person that is our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to get joy by praying for a feeling. You're going to get it by making choices, by putting your focus, by putting your 
perspective on right person or right message. You're not going to get this joy by looking around and comparing yourself to others. Oh, what she's wearing, what he's driving, you know, where, he, where they're living, or where do they go for vacation. In fact, nothing destroys joy like comparison, right? You can have joy that way. It's destroying your joy. Brothers and sisters, true joy comes from decision. The decision of what I'm going to focus on. True joy comes from choice. The choice that you are going to make based on your purpose and the vision. And that is what we are going to learn from Paul through this book, Book of Philippians. So the main point of this book of Philippians, as well as the main point of our series, is this. No matter what you are going through, joy is possible. Amen. Would you, in fact, say that with me by changing pronouns from you to I? Let's do it. No matter what I am going through, joy is possible. No matter what I am going through, the joy is possible. Why? Because joy is not a feeling. Joy is not having more stuff, accumulating more wealth, having more power, more fame, you know, even having more knowledge or wisdom. No, joy is focus. Joy is perspective. Joy is choice. Joy is decision. So having all said that, let's just dive right into the book of Philippians. Let me just give you a very brief context of this book as we are to study for next several weeks. Now, Book of Philippians is written by Apostle Paul, and he found this church in Philippi around 50 AD. Actually, he was actually going and trying to go into the little father in Asia to spread a gospel and plant a church, but God seemed to close all the doors. So he had to actually go this town and place and city called Philippi. They literally know Jew. But God also sent this faithful, devout woman like Lydia with her help, with others' help. He was able to found a church here, mainly Gentiles. He loved this church. It loved this church. He put a lot of his love and care and also prayer upon this church. Fast forward about 12 years later, around 62 AD, Paul finds himself in this house jail. Now, he's in Rome right now. The Rome is his ultimate goal to preach the gospel, to plan God's church. But ironically, he found himself behind a bar. He found himself in this house jail, chained to the Roman prison guard for 24-7. Congregation of Philippian Church, knowing that Paul is in need of help and support, they send this, um, one of their leaders, a guy named Epaphroditus. And he brought this loving gift to support the Paul while he's having a difficult time behind the bar on behalf of the church of Philippi. And Paul writes back to thank them for their support and their partnership. He deeply loved this church. Unlike the other churches that he found, let's say the Galatian church, when he wrote a letter to the Galatian people in the church, he was a little upset and mad because they had a wrong understanding about the doctrine of salvation. So he wrote this letter 
to correct them. Think about the church in Corinth. Corinthian churches, oh, he was so mad and angry at this church. They had this every single problem that we can think of as a Christian. They had the, you know, immorality. They have wrong understanding about so many doctrines and theology. So with his anger, sorry to say, he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. Correct them, rebuke them, also guide them. But that's not the case in this, in this church, church of Philippi. He loved this church. So the book of Philippians is not to correct them and rebuke them. This book of Philippians letter to the Philippian church is mere thanksgiving letter or the thank you letter. He said that I am so thankful for your support and your partnership. But as always he does, he doesn't want to just give them a thank you note and or thank you letter. He wants to also teach the lesson because he knew that this Philippian church congregation are also going through very difficult time because of this persecution and opposition by Roman Empire and also the other Gentiles in the city of Philippi. And he was actually writing this letter and hoping to teach them to find joy. Joy only comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. So today, uh, we are going to look at the first 11 verses of the first chapter. Now, if you take a look at the first 11 verses, the first and second verse of the first chapter is a you know, general greeting. It's so interesting that he um, claimed himself as a servant. That is a you know, Greek word is duros. And that means it's a bond servant. The servant that himself choose to be under someone's authority. So he considered himself a servant, but he also called and claimed the people and Philippi saint. Oh, he loved their church. After this um, kind of um, you know, introduction or greeting, he began by this thank you prayer, the prayer of thanksgiving. That is actually from the third verse through 11th birth. And here, I believe that we'll be able to find Two spiritual keys to unlock the joy that Paul, uh, Paul possesses. Paul wants to teach the Philippi. Paul also teach us. So let's find out the two keys to unlock the joy that Paul is talking about here. The first one is a partnership. The second one is anticipation. Partnership and anticipation. Now the first one is this, the joy of partnership. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5 says this. I thank my God every time that I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul, in his Thanksgiving prayer at the beginning of this letter, he's saying that whenever I remember you, there is this great inner delight and joy, and it flows from my prayer of thanksgiving that I have for you. Whenever I think of you, remarkably, Paul is filled with joy while he's in prison, right? Do you find this remarkable? Would you be able to be joyful, or would you be able to full of joy while you are in very difficult time? If I were him, if I were in a jail by spreading the gospel and preaching about the kingdom of God, Probably comparing to other ministries or other ministers or other peoples, what I'm going to do is probably doing this whole, um, what I call this pity party of me, right? Just self-pity party of me. 
God, think about that. You know, I mean, I did everything that I could do to, to, to glorify you. And why am I here? No. But Paul didn't do that, right? We know Paul didn't do that. Why? Because he put his focus on the right place. He was able to find the keys to unlock the joy that only comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. And what here in this verse, specifically that he is thankful for, he says that I am thankful for your partnership in the gospel. I am thankful for your partnership. And this word here, partnership in Greek is koinonia. Can you say that with me? Koinonia. I'm sure that you heard about this word. This is a very common Greek word. And many of us, even as a Christian, we understand this word as mere fellowship. Like that we go to the fellowship hall. I miss, by the way, the fellowship hall after service, right? Eating this whole Panera bread or refreshment or snacks and having coffee and having chat and talk. That's what we understand as a koinonia, right? But that is probably tip of this iceberg when it comes to true meaning of this koinonia. Koinonia, of course, is a fellowship, relationship, <clears throat> even it's a friendship, but that's not it. I believe the koinonia here is covenant fellowship. Who is the initiator of this fellowship? God, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit. This is a covenant fellowship. God made this covenant between you and me, between brothers and sisters of this church. You are to have this relationship, koinonia, great fellowship. I believe another word of the meaning of koinonia is also holy unity. We are to be one as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is one. The meaning of koinonia is covenant fellowship. In other words, it's also holy unity. What do I mean by that? I guess the great example that I can think of um, comes from book of Acts chapter 2. I'm sure many of you know what happened in the book of Acts chapter 2. When Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, he promised that I will send out the Holy Spirit. And he did, right? So with that promise, these 12 disciples, including one of the new Matthias disciples with other Christians, total of 120 people, gather in the upper room, and as they pray, the day of Pentecost, God sent out the Holy Spirit. As they were full of Holy Spirit, they start preaching, spreading the gospel, baptizing them, right? After the preaching of the Peter, there are 3,000 men. That means almost 10,000 people who are being baptized. And if you take a look at toward the end of this chapter, um, second chapter, verses, I believe, 42 through 46, you will find the, the perfect image of this meaning, the koinonia, covenant fellowship through this early church people's life. According to the verse 42 of Acts 2, Acts 2 it says they are devoted themselves to the teachings of the gospel. They are devoted themselves to the prayer. They also devoted themselves to a communion, and then also last one is they're devoted themselves to fellowship. That is the word koinonia actually came from. Now, what does their fellowship look like? How their fellowship kind of laid out and played out at the first church, early church, and we can find the true meaning of koinonia. You know, their fellowship is not just having 
in a fellowship hall and having coffee and checking on each other, saying, I'll pray for you. And we don't even thinking about, we don't even actually think about in my brothers and sisters during weekdays. No, they are having this communion life. They're having this, this shared life. They're having this kind of united life. They sold all their possessions, right? And then they are actually sharing their possessions with one another. They are actually reaching out to the people, those are in need, and help them. They're sharing their joy. They're sharing their pains. Their church life is a part. And they also have this corporate worship on their the day, it's the, the, the day of Sabbath. But also they're having every day through this small group. They're gathering with a small in a cluster of the group. And they're actually sharing their meals. And they're doing this uh, communion together. And they're literally sharing in their life. In that sense, I believe the true meaning of communion, in other words, is by having small group, right? We have our small group, you know, called the connection group. Now we have about four groups. Now, why small group is important? Because I learned that as I started about four years ago in this church, which we did not have it. And this corporate worship setting, you can talk to me, right? You can just watch me. It's just one way in relationship. But when you go to a small group, usually size is small, you know, five to eight, sometimes 10, you'll be able to be connected with your brothers and sisters, right? Building up this relationship, knowing that I have got my brother, I've got my sister in Christ, knowing my, under, knowing my circumstances, and also support me through their prayers. What happened during this uh, time of fellowship in your connection group, right? Usually, you make yourself vulnerable, right? Your masks come off. Conversations go deeper. Hearts become vulnerable. Lives are shared. Accountability is invited and love grows. That is a true image of what this means here, the koinonia. See that? In fact, we are in the middle of adding one more group with this COVID-19 you know, pandemic crisis. There are so many people, after I made my curbside you know, pastor vegetation, I realized that they are really in need of fellowship. So there are some, other, you know, some families of our congregation, they're willing to join or starting a new small group. So please pray for that. But I believe the small, small group is a key for the joy of Christian life. How many of you really feel like the church, you come here, just, you know, sitting here for about an hour and then left, probably including, you know, this uh, fellowship hour, extra 10, 15, 20 minutes. That's pretty much it. But that's not the true picture of Christian. Being Christian, that means you are in the middle of this koinonia relationship, shared life, holy covenant, a holy unity. That is a true meaning of koinonia. That's where Paul found great joy. He says, even though I don't see you right now, because I'm here in house jail, you are in Philippi, I'm in Rome. But whenever I thought of this whole support, prayer support that you are giving me, whenever I thought of that you guys are doing amazing work to extend the kingdom of God there, that really brings me the greatest, greatest joy. Brothers and sisters, remember, being Christian is not a singular. It's always plural. Jesus Christ said that two or what? Two or more gather in my name. There I will be with you. That's a great image of what it means to be 
the true Christian and having this koinonia, partnership or fellowship. Amen? The second key to unlock um, the true joy from Paul's perspective is this, the joy of anticipation. Can you say that with me? The joy of anticipation. In other words, you got to learn to confidently trust in God that he's going to complete his work among us and that will bring you the greatest, greatest joy. Let's see what Paul has to say about it in verse 6 of the first chapter. He says this, verse 6, being confident of this. That means I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. In fact, let me read one more time with you, because this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. So read it one more time with me. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This verse is considered to be the one of the greatest verses in all entire Bible by many, right? Paul is saying here, I am utterly convinced. I am fully persuaded. I am fully confident. Confident in what? Is it confident in the Philippian people that he loves so much? Or is it confident in himself with his own knowledge, his own wisdom, or even his own spiritual power? No. Philippian peoples are great. Paul's, Paul's power is amazing. But that is not where his confidence lies. His confidence lies. He says, here is what I am confident in. I am confident in my God who is going to bring completion, his work in me that he started. I am confident in my God. And again, this anticipation of God is in charge will bring Paul the greatest joy regardless of his circumstances. You see, the God is not the only initiator. You know, God is not an indifferent God that, you know what, I save you. Okay, let me see what you are going to do. I'm just going to just, you know, stay a little far and watching you. If you do well, I'll bless you. If not, I will judge you or curse you. No, God is not only the initiator of our life. He's a sustainer. He's a provider. He's a finisher of our life. He's a finisher of the work of the gospel. And because... He's so personally involved. We can be confident in our life. And that brings us great, great joy. Sometimes when students fail to turn into their assignment before the term ends, they usually receive what? Incomplete. You ever had that experience? You know, I'm a preacher, so I have to be honest. Yeah, I had that experience. My first semester of the college. Usually, usually the life, the senior life in my high school back in South Korea is very tough. You know, you go to school around 6 in the morning. You know, you stay at that school until the midnight. And then come back, just take a quick sleep, and then you got to go back again. Because of this whole crazy schedule, when I went to the college, I felt like, oh, you know what? I've got all freedom that I need. I want to enjoy my time, my life, my freedom. So my first semester as a freshman, I did everything but study. 
So uh, I believe uh, two out of four courses that I took, um, I got incomplete because I didn't even submit uh, some of the assignment, right? How about you? Do you have incomplete in your life? Perhaps it's housework. You started, you're busy. You weren't able to finish it. Perhaps it's a relationship. You initiated, but you're not able to finish that relationship. Incomplete. How about your career? How about your relationship with your sons and your daughters or your parents and your husband? We have a lot of incompletes in our life. Why? Because we are mere human beings. We're not as same as God. We have the limited power, limited knowledge, and limited ability. That's why there are times in our circumstances, things can be incomplete. When I started about seven years ago as a pastor, you know, senior pastor of this church, you know, I was young. I'm still young. But at the time, without any experience, starting this the local church here as a guy who came from a thousand miles away, I must admit it was very tough. You know, I didn't know how I am going to lead you guys and provide you spiritually. Now I have better understanding. Now I'm, I'm doing a better work. But that time, it was tough, very difficult, you know, ministry for me. But when that happened, this verse here, this verse here, always, always in my mind. I remember this verse. I remember and reading and reading and reading this verse here, verse 6. Being confident of this. He who began a good work in me will carry it unto completion until the end of this world. Until I finish my ministry. Knowing that who is in charge Knowing that who will be, you know, guiding me and supporting me. But like, wow, you know what? I'm not in charge of this ministry. God is. I'm not driving you guys or this, this ministry people. No, God is. God just used me as his one of a vessel or tool. When I realized that I've got this, this freedom and comfort. And from there, I've got this overflowing joy because I don't have to be in charge of everything because God is in charge. That's why we were able to come this far. Brothers and sisters, what's your life? What are you struggling with? Especially with this COVID-19, you know, with your economics and physical and spiritual relational life. What are you going through these difficult times? Remember this. Always, always great reminder. Psalm 23, right? The psalm that David wrote says this. Even though I walk through the valley of death, right? Even though I walk through the actually shadow of the valley of death, I fear no evil because of my God who provides and protects. You see that? Even though when we feel like we're walking in the shadow of valley of death, remember, it's only a shadow. It's not actual darkness of the death. Where there is shadow, there is a light. Where there is a, you know, the valley, deep, deep valley, there is a mountain top, right? Who is the light and who can take us, you know, to the mountain top? That is our God, our Son Jesus Christ, and our Holy Spirit. That's where the Paul's joy coming from. Paul's joy is coming from these two important key factors. You see that the Paul feels so joyful, so positive, so optimistic. 
Well, it wasn't because of his circumstances, right? He was in jail. He was chained and he was on trial for his life. He was physically weak. He was under attack from fellow ministries. I mean, if anybody has reason to be angry, to be frustrated, to be downcast, it was Paul, right? It was Paul. But instead, he speaks of this joy of koinonia, shared relationship based on the shared vision, shared purpose. He was joyful because of this anticipation and confidence in completion of the work that is going to be done by God. That's why he was able to find this great joy. My dear brothers and sisters, I know it's a very difficult time right now. And as we just started this whole series of how to find joy during difficult times, I hope the Paul's lesson Paul's wisdom and Paul's application and teaching will be invaluable to you. May you take all the lessons as we are to learn for the next several weeks so that we can apply to our very difficult time, regardless of our circumstances, by putting your focus onto the right place, by putting your perspective on the right person that is our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the initiator, sustainer, provider, and finisher of our life. By trusting it, I believe you'll be able to find this greatest joy, overflowing joy, regardless of your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, our loving Heavenly Father, we come before you in trusting that, Lord, you are the one who is controller and sovereign God who is in charge. Lord, we're thankful for this lesson that is given by Apostle Paul. Regardless of our circumstances, we can find joy. Because joy is possible. Joy is possible regardless of our circumstances. Because it's not based on our circumstances. It is based on our focus, our perspective, our decision, and our choice. That is upon you, our Father God. We pray for all in our Savior Jesus Christ's name. Amen.